Well, good day to you. I am Joel, one of the pastors here, and it is good to be with you. Um, ignore me as I continually pop cough drops. Happy Easter. Sometimes you need just to sit for a moment and recognize what God has done for us. If you're new here to Chapel Point, let me tell you a little bit about how this goes when it comes to worship. We pray a lot, we sing a lot, worshiping him, and then we open up scripture. We don't add to it, we don't remove from it. We go, God, what are you trying to teach us? Then we apply it to our lives and we allow for God through his Holy Spirit, because anybody who has professed faith in Jesus Christ now has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit would have his way with us. Welcome to Chapel Point. That is why we are here. And so what we get to do today is we get to dive into Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 12. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 12. Um, and I was going to let you stay seated for this since you've been standing up. But I just decided somebody gave me a stink eye. So let's stand for the reading of the word of God. That's what you get. Also, this is how it happens at Chapel Point as well. The scripture is going to come up on the screen. Everybody clap your hands. There it is. People do come. Every time we do that, they're like, so like literally, is it clap on, clap off? I'm like, oh boy, I know where you're going to college. Um, Take that however you want. <laughs> if it's underlined, you read it. You ready? Yeah. Okay. One of you. Here we go. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone away. from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, He is not here. Say that with me. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. Rise. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and this is the word of God. You may be seated. So certainly we understand what had just taken place a, a few days before Jesus' last supper with the followers and then his death and his crucifixion. After Jesus' entombment, the tomb, we know, would be sealed by Roman guards. It tells us in Matthew chapter 27, 62 through 66, that Roman guards would 
protect the tomb of Jesus. Now, I think there's two primary reasons for this. One, they had already heard what may happen with Jesus, and they were scared of somebody stealing the body. Also, I think it was, it was guarded by these individuals because um, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were also fearful of the same thing. You see, Jesus had created so much of a, 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 of a rebellion in some regards, and they were concerned about this. But here come these women that were given their names already, at least some of them, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and it says, and other women as well. And they're going to go and properly bury Jesus Christ. Now, the reason is very simple. It lets us know that Joseph of Arimathea had already given this tomb and in haste, it tells us in one of the gospels, in haste, he had already done what he could to prepare his body. That's in John chapter 19, 38 through 41. And so they want to give him a proper burial. And so these women are going and they're wanting to make sure that they go to this tomb. This is a picture of what one of these tombs could look similar to. Yes, giant uh, circle, cylinder, right? Uh, stone in front of it, most likely within a track because it doesn't matter men or women, numerous people would be taken to move this at all. And so it was often on a track. You're going all of this for one burial. Yes, because the majority of these tombs had numerous departments inside for many people. They would treat the bodies and after several years, the body would decay. They would come back when it was only bones, put it in a canister and put it to the side and then continually use that tomb. It's a great topic before you go have lunch. So this is similar, just to give you an, uh, an idea of what something like this would have looked like. So they're coming with spices and ointments, and they're wanting to come and prepare the body of Jesus. We understand some of the customs that were taking place, but they also know um, that the tomb was going to be blocked by a, a, a giant stone. It tells us in Mark chapter 16 that the women were discussing the issue with the stone. They're like, how are we going to deal with this? Guys, we're going to help with the body, but we're going to have to figure this out. We've got to move the stone. So they're discussing these very things. Now, if you're new to church, you have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... And in those four gospels, they all perfectly complement one another. Nothing, nothing in the gospels conflicts with the other. They just all add to and build upon the entire story. So we know in uh, Mark chapter 16, they're discussing, what are we going to do with the stone? You would think they would have thought of that before. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I mean, let's just leave it at that for now. But here they are. These women are going to prepare the body of Jesus Christ. We do end up recognizing that, he go, uh, that they go, they find the stone rolled away, of course. And what they find inside is nothing but this, linen cloths, because the body was there no more. The body was there no more. They're walking, though, before they ever saw this, and they're walking to the tomb, and they're trying to figure out what to do, and they simply discovered that the stone was found rolled away. The body of the Lord Jesus was gone. Matthew 28, verse 2 tells us that an angel rolled it away. Now, let me go ahead and give you some insight. The stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. John 20, verse 19, tells us that human physical barriers meant nothing to Jesus. He could do whatever he wanted. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. It was rolled away so you could see in that he is alive. So that the people could see in and see that he was no longer there. 
angels come and this is interesting because it does tell us in one of the versions as I just mentioned that an angel removed the stone from where it was. Verse four and five, it says, they were perplexed about discovering the stone rolled away. They were perplexed by this. And it says, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These are angels. They're standing there in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground and then said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now let's go ahead and go back to Luke chapter two. In Luke chapter two, you had this, the, the most thorough telling of the story of the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter two. Angels come to a bunch of shepherds and say, hey, guess what's happening? The Messiah is going to be born. Fulfilling all types of prophecies, everything was exactly as it needed to be according to literally over 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ from hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years prior. Everything was coming and matching perfectly. It's still why scholars today are like, oh, this just doesn't make sense. Everything matches up perfectly. It's because it's of God. And here come these angels coming to let them know and to declare there's a birth of a Messiah that is coming. He comes to shepherds who are humble. And according to cultural standards, they are just the lowest of the low. And he comes to people who are just humble, humble people. And he announces the birth of Jesus. Well, now here come angels and they announce to a bunch of women. And according to who they knew and who they associated with, they're the lowest of the low once again. And so here come angels and they announce to some humble people not the birth of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ. Why does he always come to people like that? It's very simple, because the proud, the arrogant, don't have ears to hear. And some of you may be proud, may be arrogant, and it just simply doesn't make sense to you. And so you struggle to hear from God because you profess something that you may not believe in, that Jesus is alive. So here are these angels and they come. And of course, listen, if you're these ladies, I'm not going to give them a hard time at all. They were perplexed. If you walk up going to prepare a body that was in a tomb, you're going to try to figure out how to move the stone and you're going to prepare it in, in, in the burial and to be thorough in that. And you walk up and the stone is gone and the person who you consider to be Messiah is alive and you're like going, what's going on? And not only that, but angels show up as well. I think a lot of us would have been perplexed. Don't give them a hard time. I think we would have been perplexed and confused and all these other things. And in their humility, verse 5 says they were frightened, but also they bowed their faces to the ground in humility. Like, wow. And the angels look at them and say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Say that with me. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why is it? What a great question for us. And it was a wonderfully logical question in many regards, but Jesus was not thought of as dead, so why were they seeking him among the dead? And they needed to be told that he was alive. Friends, some of you today, you are here seeking. You're seeking answers. And some of you are rejecting what you do not understand. Do you seek answers today or are you rejecting what you do not understand? Some of you are coming today seeking 
who Jesus is. Is this real? It doesn't make sense to me. How is this possible? And you're here because you have a friend who finally convinced you. Some of you haven't been in church in 10 years or in 20 years. I'm glad to have you. Some of you have never been in church. I'm glad to have you. And you're coming to this place today and you're, you're probably here. Just Some of you might be here because you are more excited about the lunch that you get afterwards. And if you came with a friend from this church and you've never been to church before, make sure they feed you well. And if they don't, you come talk to me. <laughs> There's one answer, filet. <laughs> Amen. But you're coming to this place today and you're seeking, you're looking, you're trying to figure out, is this real? Is the Messiah real? It doesn't make sense. And some of you need to seek Jesus. Here's the struggle we have with seeking Jesus because a lot of us will come to the table and we're like, hey, we want to, we're, we're trying to seek life. We're trying to seek fulfillment and peace and contentment and comfort and joy and all these things. And we're looking for life and we're looking for purpose, but we're trying to find life in dead things. Some of you are trying to find life in dead things and it doesn't work. Some of, I'll give you some examples of how we look for life and dead things. Some of you look for life in materialism. We already know that, right? Anybody get a new shirt for Easter? I did. They're so soft today. Holy cow. When I was growing up, it felt like you were putting on a cardboard box. And now it's like, what? Right? Anybody, anybody get a new shirt? Really? One of you? Two now. The rest of you need to seek Jesus. Um... <laughs> No, like you, you do it and like my, you know, I get a new shirt and some people go and they'll go shopping because they're stressed or they have anxiety and they need to go buy something. It may not be clothes. It could be anything. When my wife comes and says, Hey, I need to go shopping. And she says, Hey, I got a new top. I used to be like, Oh, that's awesome. Now what I've learned being married, if you're not married, that's what happens. If your wife says I'm getting a new top, that includes pants <laughs> and shoes and jewelry to match. Anybody? Okay, I'm going to keep going on this. So you're looking for fulfillment in some type of way. And you're looking for life and dead things. We do it through other things. I'll give you another example of how we look for life and dead things. We look through religious traditionalism. We look for life in religious traditionalism. And so we adopt a certain practice that's adding to Scripture. And we go, this is how you have to be. And if you don't do it this way, then you possibly, there's no way that you can actually be a lover of Jesus because we start with this religious traditionalism and these routines that we have to observe that are not in the word of God. And so we have one generation that does it really well and their next generation, this is throughout humanity, the next generation does it okay and the next generation does it a little bit less, but they still are aware of it. And by the fourth or the fifth generation, they've said, why are we even doing that? And so they stop because we've taught people how to practice having a faith rather than live in a relationship with Jesus. Hello, West Michigan. Why do you think we have, listen, we have all these churches and yet we're far below average in church attendance because we have taught people how to have a practice of a faith rather than to have a faith and a personal relationship with a savior, with a Messiah. I know the numbers. We have demographic reports out the wazoo and everybody claims to know Jesus, yet we don't have nearly as many people living for Jesus because we have served a practice rather than living in a relationship. It's time to seek Jesus and to find the resurrected Lord. 
Some of you are looking for life in dead things through formalism or man's rules or human effort or philosophy or your own ingenuity and your own intelligence and it never works and you keep having to search more and more and more and more no matter what you find. And you keep chasing your own tail. We know how this goes. Are you looking for life in dead things? Can you be honest? If Are you looking for life? You've got to have the right title. You've got to have the right promotion. You've got to have more money. We know the studies, guys. Everybody makes roughly 50% of what they think they should make in order to be really happy. No matter what they earn. Because we're looking for life in dead things. We're looking and looking and searching and searching. And it never really works out. Because we're looking for life and dead things. Are you looking for life and dead things? Some of you, you are every year, every year. I, I, I know I give winter a hard time in Michigan, all 11 months. <laughs> but I do because I don't really care because all I know is I serve a God regardless of the weather. If you dread fall, winter, and spring, and you're only living for a few months out of the year, you need to get a better perspective. Death has been defeated. And we're looking for life and dead things. Some of you are looking for life and dead things. Now, as this passage continues on in Luke chapter 24, it then says this, they're, they're frightened, their faces go to the ground. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Some of you are seeking. But then he says, he is not here. Say it again. He is not here. One more time. He is not here. But has risen. And then he says this, remember, say remember. remember. Now this is important. Remember. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. We find this also prior to this chapter in Luke chapter 18, 31 through 33. It says that again, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Some of you are here seeking, is this thing real? Some of you are here and you're needing to remember. You need to remember what Christ has done. That you need to remember the power of the resurrection. Because for some reason you declared it one day and it changed things for you. But slowly over time, you've had the wrong voices and the wrong people speaking into your ear. And you've started to adopt some of the same practices of the world. And you're going, hey, I'm going to try to find life in dead things. And you keep doing it more and more. And some of you need to be remembered of the power of the resurrection because you've lost yourself. Some of you are seeking, some of you need to remember. So you're wanting to remember. You're like, okay, I, I, okay, I need to remember the power of the resurrection. Remember that he is no longer in the tomb. This says he, he's not here, he is, he is risen. Remember how he told you all that he would do. And then here's what's so interesting. Some of you are here to seek. Some of you are here to remember. But in verse 8, it says, and they remembered what Jesus said. So they were told by the angels, remember what he said. He was going to do these things. Then they remembered, oh, aha. It was an aha moment. Can everybody say aha? 
It's not Greek, but it's like, it makes the point. They like had an aha moment. Like, oh, yeah. He said that he was going to do all of these things, give himself over to simple men to be crucified on the third day rise. It's the third day. What? They remembered what he said. And so in remembering what he said, I, I love that. So they're told to remember. And then in verse eight, they, it goes, oh, and they remembered. And when someone remembers and has an aha moment, what that typically means is there's about to come some type of change in their life. Something's going to shift. So there's going to be some type of response. Every time God speaks, it demands what? A response. God spoke to the angels they remembered, and now there's going to be a response. So this is what they do in verse 9. It says, returning from the tomb, they told all, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now, so you have the 11 apostles here, and then you also says all the rest. So we don't know everybody involved in this. I think it was a pretty full place because they didn't have rooms like this at all. And according to scripture, if you really look at their original language, it says they hurried off to go tell everybody what had happened. They encounter angels. Angel says, remember, they remember, so they hurry off to tell everybody what had taken place. When you remember the power of the resurrection, what are you doing with that? Their response was to hurry off and go tell everybody that they really knew. And, and you need to know this about the story. These were friends of theirs. For the last several years, they had been serving the Messianic ministry and the Messianic ministry with Christ and following him as a rabbi. So these are individuals who knew one another. These women knew the apostles, knew these followers. And so they're going to people whom they loved, who they cared for, and telling them, hey, guess what? Now, it could have, I can only, oh man, what a room that would have been. I, sometimes my family and I, uh, you know, obviously kids, they take off school a lot of times on the weekend, and their father works on the weekend. So that means a lot of times we'll vacation. They'll go see some family or something like that, and I'll catch up with them some other time. Last weekend, my family went to Louisville, Kentucky. That's where um, my wife's family is from. They wanted to go see Gigi. Gigi is my kid's great-grandmother-in-law who's 103. Did you know that when you're 103, you get anything you want? <laughs> like she just says whatever. She, they're like, they're like, she'll say anything. Hey, kids, yes, what do you want? I haven't asked for anything yet, but whatever you, I, she just gets whatever, and she's this precious lady. I love it. You know, I've told some of you this story. Like, I'll be like, hey, what was the greatest invention of your life? You've got to remember, she was born in 1920, right? And she's like, the zipper. The zipper? That's what you got? <laughs> like, that's what, we got planes and trains and automobiles and computers, and you said the zipper? She's like, it changed everything. I'm like, good for you. I'm like, wow. My thumb didn't hurt anymore. I don't know. I'm just like, she's an amazing woman. They went to see her and they came back. And it's fun when my kids come back from visiting family because I've got several kids, of course. And so they come in. And if it's been a good trip, you know it. You want to know why? Because I say, hey, what all did you do? And they all start talking at once. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you got to tell me, we went to the trampoline park, and then we went horseback riding, and after we went horseback riding, we went to our favorite place to eat. The cheeseburgers were so good, and we had mozzarella sticks. It was fantastic. And I'm like, well, stop. Stop. Like, I, I, need, to, I need you to pull back. 
I need you to throttle down. Anybody looked at their kids before and said, throttle down. And if you say it with that, it works. <laughs> throttle down. And they're just talking, it's rapid fire. I'm going, I can't even pay attention right now. I need, like, you're giving me a twitch. You need to stop. <laughs> you don't think that's what the women were doing? They went to prepare the body of Jesus. They find that the stone had been rolled away. Angels met them. They're coming back. They're telling, you know that they all, they did not walk up to that room with all the followers of Jesus and be like, okay, who wants to tell the story first? They were, boom. Had to have been. And, you know, you get so excited about telling everything that maybe you've done or something that you've discovered, something that you've recognized. Remember, they've made this enormous discovery that Jesus was alive. He's not in the tomb anymore. And so they made this discovery, and they're trying to figure out what to do with all of it. There's nothing worse than telling and getting all excited about telling a story, and somebody just squashes it. Right? It's kind of like, you know, my wife, I found out she's earlier in our marriage, she kept getting pregnant. And... <laughs> Figured it out way too late. And um, she kept getting pregnant. And, and you know, it's kind of like saying, walking up to somebody, you can't, you're so excited to tell them you're about to have a baby. You're like, hey, we're having a baby. And they go, I hope it's not two. <laughs> like, jerk. Like, that's what you want. Like, you get so excited and then somebody just, squel- just squashes it. You ever ha- had that happen before? Okay, so here are these women. I'm just trying to let you understand the significance of this. They now go to their friends. Remember, they're friends. They love each other. They just found that the Messiah is not dead. He's alive. They come and they're telling them everything. And then this is what it says. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Right? Fuddy, duddy. You want people to share in your excitement. And friends, sometimes you, some of you are seeking and you believe, but because other people don't share in your excitement, you lose faith. Don't wait for others to share in your excitement. If God has given you a heart to believe, believe and live it out. So they come and it says, these words seem to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. I mean, imagine the privilege of being the first to tell others about the risen Savior. And despite their excitement, the testimony of the women that they had, the apostles, they're like, no, don't believe it. Literally, the word here for idol, I I think they were spiritually numb. Some of you need to remember because you're spiritually numb. You're just going through the routine of what it is to be a believer, and yet you actually don't have a faith. I'm going, man, how can he say that? I truly believe that just the gym's full. They're sitting, we had to pull out couches for those guys. Gym people, you're awesome. We ran out of chairs in our building. You don't think if this many people get excited for Jesus Christ that we change the state of Michigan? Yet we won't even go tell our neighbor. And yet here's the response of the women. When they remembered, they ran back to the town and they're telling their friends, this is what happened, this is so great. And I think they taught that high. Like, you can tell it's, it's going. It's like, wow. 
But for some of them, it was just like idle tales. William Barclay, a theologian, said that the word here literally means that they listened to them as though that they were, an ins- they were babbling with insanity. It doesn't make any sense because they wanted it to be logical. Some, some of you are seeking for life and dead things because it, Jesus, it just doesn't make sense to you. And you are so proud, just proud of yourself and so arrogant that if you can't fully understand it, you won't believe, you won't give yourself to it. That's arrogance to think that a human is gonna understand the godly. And you just can't get over it. So you just keep looking for life and dead things and it doesn't ever work out and you need to remember the power of the resurrection. And here's the thing that gets me is that then it tells us that Peter, last verse, Peter rose and ran to the tomb. So his friends, nope, insane babbling, not gonna give in to it, staying right where I am. That's some of you. I know I'm at Easter, but I get food after. And you're not going to let anything change you. You are who you are. You're not going to be changed no matter what. And you're going to be miserable in life. And you're going to keep blaming other people and even God on things. But you won't really believe in the power of the resurrection. Am I hitting home with anybody? But Peter, even though his friends are still sitting there, he gets up and he runs to the tomb. Now, let me give you some more context here. Peter, just a few nights before, they had the Last Supper. And Peter is there in the Last Supper in the upper room with Jesus Christ. And after that, Jesus gets up and he goes into Galilee to pray. He tells his disciples, you keep praying too. Pray that you remain faithful. Pray. And he's calling out to, he's calling out to the Heavenly Father, God, I know what's to come. I don't want to do this. But if it's your will, I'm in. Because he knew that veil, the only way for it to be torn was what? For him to take the sin for us. And Peter's looking at Jesus like, Jesus, I would never deny you. I, I, I would never deny you. And yet we know while he was in the garden moving forward, He's already, by the time this is over, he's probably already at this time, if you look at all the scholars and everything else that's being said, he's probably already before Herod and Pilate at this point. And guess what Peter did three times? Denied him. One of his best friends said, I'll never deny you. You see, I don't... I remember a good friend of mine years ago, loved the guy, had a conversation with a friend of mine and the conversation would have changed if I would have known that would have been my last conversation with him ever. Car wreck. Man, good man, good man. And again, it wasn't a bad conversation, but that conversation would have looked very different if I would have known that was the last time I would ever speak to him. I would have looked at him and said, man, I love you. Jealous for you. But for eternity, we're going to get our worship on. Right? So how about Peter? Who one of his last conversations with Jesus is, I'll never deny you. And yet right after that, what's he do? He denies him three times. And now these women come into the door and they say, guess what? Yeah. He jacked up the cloak and he started to run. 
think about it in that context because now he's going, wait, Jesus is alive? Yes! My last conversation was I would never deny him and I betrayed my God. I've got to go see him. And it changes the way you approach it. It changes how you think of the power of the resurrection. Some of us are spiritually numb. We're sitting back like the apostles and go, I don't tell. But some of us need to be more like Peter. And we need to to run to the tomb to discover that it is empty, that there is life in the power of Jesus. But too many are trying to chase life, fulfillment, contentment, peace, hope, joy, and everything else in dead things. It will never work. Life is only in Jesus. Life is only in Jesus. Life is only in Jesus. And it is for all of eternity. Will you remember the power of the resurrection? Friends, the curtain... The veil, it separated the Israelites from the full presence of God. The stone in front of the tomb was intended to keep us from living and seeing God in flesh. But I am telling you now, some of us have our own barriers that need to be moved. For some of you, it's your spouse. You so badly want your family to be encompassed by Jesus Christ, but you have a spouse who's just going to live for themselves no matter what. Pray for them every day for at least an hour. It's worth it. Give up your habits. Give up your routines. Give up whatever you have to. Give up your book clubs. Give up your fishing. Give up your hunting. Give up anything to get on your knees and beg God to let your spouse encounter the saving power of Jesus. Beg God. Because for some of you, that's the curtain. And for others, it's a friend or it's wanting to obtain a certain status. What's keeping you from embracing, remembering the power of the resurrection? But that's why we have baptisms. If you want to get baptized, walk out that door. We will find, yes. If we can't even go, you know what? Here's the word of God. We know what it says. If we can't even do that, how are we supposed to step out of this place and be used by him? to do radical things in the kingdom of God, to bring light to a dark world, to let the power of Jesus be seen. If you're seeking Jesus, friends, let me tell you this right now. You are loved by an almighty God. If you're seeking life, you can find it. No matter what you've done, where you've been, it does not matter. There is always room in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not worthy enough. No, you're not. But he's good enough. God, I come before you. I give you thanks and worship and praise. Adulation, just I'm coming before you right now, praying that as people seek you, they will actually find life in you. Praying, God, that as some of these friends remember the power of the resurrection, that then it forces a change, that they'll be more like a Peter and run to the tomb, run to tell others, and they're going to be like the apostles who simply go, idle words, I don't believe God. May we not be spiritually numb. Let us be different. Let us be different. Let it start today. Let it start now. In Christ's name.